Is that like the official end to summer? I'm hoping it's not, right? Everyone's looking at me like, no, at least thank you. Thank you. Okay, we are concluding the summer series, but let's just say summer is still here for us, at least for a little bit longer. Um, Next week, we start the kickoff series. I'm going to invite you all to it right now. You got to come check this out. It's called I Am Christ Church. How many of you have one of those t-shirts that say I Am Christ Church? Okay, great. If you got one, wear it next week. If you need one, come next week and get one, okay? Because there are going to be these I Am Christ Church t-shirts. The whole idea for this series, the whole where we're going to take time to look at, is who we are as a church body, who we are as Christ Church, and then who we are as individuals being part of Christ Church. What are our values? What is our mission? What are, what's important to us as a collective body and as disciples of Jesus Christ? If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, what does that mean to be part of Christ church and be a follower of Christ? So whether you're a Christian or not, whether you're a, a dedicated member here or not, come and experience it. Come get a taste of what Christ church is. It starts next week. Wear your t-shirts. You got to go home and do laundry. I know it will be worth it. We're all going to show up with our I Am Christ Church t-shirts starting next week. This week, we are wrapping up, though, our sermon series, Wild Women of Summer. We've been traveling through these stories of women from Scripture. There's been uh, eight different stories that we've looked at uh, of women who have faced really challenging circumstances and situations. Women who have experienced brokenness in their world and in their lives. They have been both victims and perpetrators of poor decisions, poor circumstances, brokenness. The women that we've studied these last eight weeks have come into contact with the deep, broken realities of our world. This is all based on this one premise. That it is often for us, it is more meaningful for you and I to connect with someone. It is more powerful and meaningful to connect with someone who is broken than better. When, when you, when it's, it's easier for us, it's more powerful to connect with someone who knows and understands what struggles are, what trials are, how hard life is, and the, the decisions that we face. And the reality is that sometimes we make good decisions, sometimes we don't make good decisions. We've taken the time to learn these eight stories and learn from these sisters from the scriptures. Because they have experienced trials and struggles, brokenness that you and I can relate to. Brokenness with marriages, brokenness with how to raise kids, brokenness in work environments, struggles as it relates to our self-esteem and anxiety and all of the different pressures that we experience week in and week out. Brokenness when we turn on the TV and we look and we see persecution and oppression and violence in our world. When we look at ourselves and we look at our world, we understand and know what brokenness is. And we went to the scriptures these last eight weeks and we have studied women who equally have known and experienced the challenges of brokenness in their own lives. So the question is, who are we going to study today? (laughs) 
Who, who is the last wild woman of summer? Who is the last wild woman who, who, who we need to study and look at and examine? And the answer might surprise you. The last, last person that we need to spend time looking at and examining their story and looking at what decisions they've made and, and acknowledging, yeah, they probably made some wild decisions out there and yeah, they've, they've got brokenness as a part of their lives. The last person that we need to study is you. The last story we have yet to examine is our own story. Your own story of where you have experienced trial and struggle and brokenness and what God has been a part of that, how God has been a part of that. And we need to take the time to look at our own lives, our own story, recognizing our own brokenness, our own wild behavior. I mean, come on. You know that wild Saturday night that I'm talking about where you made those decisions and you really experienced wild brokenness? When we take the time to look in the mirror, we recognize we have much in common with the eight women that we've studied this summer and that it's healthy and good and right for us to take the time to examine ourselves, our own story, alongside of the stories that have come before us. To help us do that, to help place that uh, and kind of guide the rest of this sermon, I'm going to invite you to watch the screens. There's this really great video that helps capture this idea of our own story and how our story can relate to others. Check it out. Watch the screens. Check out the video. I'm a writer. I've been dreaming about writing the words that could change the world since the writer. very first time someone called me. I've been dreaming about writing the words that could change the world since the very first time someone called me a mean The world was my blank and I understood the incredible power words The world was my blank page and I was the author of my own first person narrative. When I start writing a story, I tend to start backward because I usually know how I want it to end. The ending is always the most important to me. So I start with my happy ending, and then I start working on the beginning. And from there, the middle of the story is This was how I tried to live my life as well. If I wanted to get to the end, my beginning had to start a certain way, often meaning a drastic change of some sort. And from there, I could fill in the rest. Only this doesn't work so well in real life. It wasn't before long that I began to realize that the rest of the world wasn't cooperating with the story I'd been writing for much If I was my own protagonist, reality was my ultimate antagonist, the arch enemy of my story. The rest of the world rarely cared about furthering my story, let alone helping me to get to my happy ending. There were plot twists I never saw coming, and... Often when I finally made my way to what I thought might be the end, or at least an end, it was a hollow victory. It was never the end. It was never enough. For someone writing my own story, I felt amazingly out of control of the whole thing. For 24 years, I tried to keep moving forward. I'm a firm believer that authors are driven by two motives. The desire to be loved for their creation 
and the desire to be known through their creation. In my reality, my creation was myself, and it was neither loved nor known. So I stopped writing the story, and I was ready for the story to be over. Something, somehow. So I stopped writing the story. Kept it moving forward, but something, somehow. Kept it moving forward. I could only ignore the truth of it for so long. Someone else was writing my story. There was someone else writing the whole story, and I needed to know who it was. As I said, an author wants to be known through his creation. So I finally opened my eyes and started looking around me. I discovered it wasn't just me. There was so much more to take into consideration. I began to understand this author hadn't just made me. He'd authored an entire world. I started studying my author, looking back into my story and seeing something fuller, something I hadn't seen before. I had to understand what was going on. And then a friend one day told me I could stop studying him from a distance and I could get to personally know him instead. But why would the author of the universe want to know me? It took me a while to truly understand that just like I love every character I've ever created, every effort I've poured on the blank pages of notebook paper, and every moment I've spent lost in the fictional worlds I've created, the author of the universe loves me because he made me. So where did this leave me? And I have a choice what role every day I wake up in God's story. And I have a choice what role I get to play. Some days I'm the protagonist. Some days more of a supporting character. But one thing is become increasingly clear. I'm not the main character of this story. I'm his. And this is his story. See, it's important to examine your story this morning because your story belongs next to all the other stories that we've been studying. Your story and and all of the wild women of summer that we've been looking at and examining and learning from, you share the same author. The same author is writing your story who was writing stories thousands of years ago involved in people's lives throughout time. The same author, the same God has been working and knitting and weaving together this larger narrative, this larger story. Adventure Camp Kids, you know it as the big God story. There's this author who has been working to write this big God story. And that you, you are a part of that. Alongside all of the other stories that are in there. In seminary, they they have this fancy way of describing it. Kids, you should know this. You're getting exactly what my professors taught me. You're getting exactly that in Sunday school. You, you call it the big God story. When they send you off, you grow up, and you go to these fancy big schools where all you do is study the Bible. 
They call it the cosmological narrative. And they always do this. This is why I do this. Because like every professor did this every time they said it. It was a, you know, they'd be lecturing and then they would talk to, they would talk about the cosmological narrative. And the idea is the same. That it's true that God has been writing this long overarch. He has been authoring this overarching story of the history and life of his creation. And you, your story is, is, is a part of that. Your story, along with each of the biblical characters we've examined, is part of God's big story. In light of that, because we share the same author, it's worth asking the question, well, who is this author? Who is the one writing? Who is this author so that we can better understand our own stories? What can we realize and know? What can we tease out and understand about God who is writing and authoring all of our our respective stories? What can we know about Him so that we can understand ourselves a whole lot better? I want to point out two things that we have gleaned about our author over the last eight weeks. Over the last eight weeks, we've seen two significant things that the author has been doing throughout time, consistent with each of the wild women of summer, that the the, the author seems to have these underlying principles and threads. Here's the first one. The author, God... God is consistently a God for broken people. A God for broken and wild people. God is a God who is engaged with, who is working beside, who is helping steward and navigate life in a broken world. God is a God for broken people living broken lives. He's not the kind of God who who expects you to have your life all nice and neat and tidy in a bow. It's called wild women of summer, not perfect women of summer. This is a God who's involved with people who have struggles and issues and face challenges and life doesn't always make sense and we don't always have a job and our marriage sometimes falls apart and our kids cause us trouble and we don't know what to do and we don't know what decisions to make and we make the best decisions we can and sometimes they're the wrong decisions. People in a broken world. And rather than keeping that at arm's length, Rather than demanding that you have your life all nice and neat and tidy and everything tied up in a nice bow, and that you're all squeaky clean and you shine when you walk out into the sun, that's not life. And fortunately, our God is willing to engage with us while we are still broken, destitute, needing help. Our God, the author, is invested in your life, caring for you, helping you. He wants what's best for you. Even amidst your brokenness, He is God of and for broken people. That is good news if you're broken like me. (laughs) The author 
our God, is invested in the lives of broken people. In fact, he is so committed to broken people, people who have issues and struggles in life, that he'll enter, he is so dedicated that he will actually enter into flesh. He will enter into our world, into our struggles. He will deal with what we deal with in such a way that he becomes a person wrapped in flesh. The name Jesus Christ is who he bears. And Jesus Christ walks and and lives and breathes and he faces persecution and oppression. And Jesus knows what it's like to sit with the outcast and to have life messed up. Jesus so loves, our God so loves broken people that he'll break bread with them. That Jesus comes up to and actually uh, has conversations with them. Remember the woman at the well? She's a broken person. And yet Jesus comes to her and rather than staying away from her, he comes to her and has a relationship with her, a conversation with her. That's the kind of God we have. One who draws close to the brokenhearted and the needy. A God who is invested in the lives of broken people. Scripture would say it this way. There are two really great verses that capture this for us. Psalm 34, verse 18. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. Those who are, are, are trying to make life work despite its challenges. The Lord is near to them. And he saves those who are crushed in spirit, those who are, are downcast and in, in hurting in life. Check it out again in Psalm 147, verse 3. God, the author, heals the brokenhearted. I love that. He heals the brokenhearted. And he binds up their wounds. I get this mental picture, I think in terms of pictures. And so when I hear this idea of like the binds up wounds, I picture Jesus coming and wrapping wounds, wrapping our hurts in our pains and our struggles, that he actually comes and begins the process of healing us despite the fact that we are often victim and perpetrator of brokenness, despite the pain and suffering. Jesus is engaged with the healing process in our lives. He heals the brokenhearted, and he binds up their wounds. First major thing you need to know about your God, about the author, is that he's close to and he cares for broken people. And we saw that over the last eight weeks. And that means it's true for you as well. Another major point. Here's another major thing you should know about the author. As he is working towards healing, as he's, he, he, he's working to heal and to change and to restore, God actively is moving us towards a new ending, a better ending. The author, the author is working to move you towards a better end. God is working to move our world and our lives, our stories. He's moving them in a direction. They're not just complacent. We are moving in life. And as we move in life, we are moving towards the future that God desires for us and has in store for us. 
He, he, he meets us as we are broken and recognizes He is a God for the broken, but then He is a God who actively moves us towards a future that has healing and hope and life and promise, a place that has restoration as a part. That future, it's a happy ending. The author is writing in such a way to move His people to a happy ending may sound cheesy, happy endings. But I believe it. I believe that God is working in your life to move you, to move our community, to move our world towards a better end than what we are experiencing right now. He is invested in this future. I was an English major in, in college, and when you write, I mean, it said in, even in, the, in the, uh, the video, right? The author always starts where? Not at the beginning. Do you know that? Authors, you never start at the beginning. You always start at the end. Where you want to go, what you want to bring about, what life can be like. And, and I just picture God writing this ending that's, that's hopeful and full of life where you don't have the same brokenness that the rest of the story deals with. An ending that has marriages that are successful and, 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 and relationships that are meaningful and, and where you are feeling encouraged and built up and not torn down. A, a future, an ending that is full of, full of life as it could be and probably should be. Jesus himself is so dedicated to moving towards, moving us all towards that future, that ending that the author is writing, that he'll actually quote, he quotes Isaiah 61. He quotes an Old Testament prophet. So Jesus comes into this world, and he is willing to engage with broken people and move us towards that future. And as he does that, at the very beginning, this is what he says. He quotes an Old Testament scripture. It's beautiful. He says this, Jesus says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. God has chosen me. i got a mission. I'm going to be moving God, God's people towards God's preferred future. The Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed. Oppression is a reality that's part of our world. You turn on the TV, you're going to see oppression and persecution. You might have experienced it yourself, what it is to be oppressed in this life. And Jesus is saying, look, I've got good news, the future that I have in store for you. Oppression is the thing of the past. The future is, 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 is whole and healthy and real, and it won't have oppression. It's a future where, where I bind up the brokenhearted, where I take broken people and work to heal their lives, where I proclaim liberty to the captives and release to prisoners. I love that, particularly that line. I mean, how often have you felt trapped in life? Have you ever felt trapped where circumstances or situations or pressures limit your decisions and your options and you just totally feel imprisoned and you're just churning just to try to keep up with life because you're trapped by whatever the situation is. You've probably felt that before. Totally trapped. And Jesus says, look, the future that I'm working towards, the future that, I'm, that the author is writing your story towards, it is liberty. Liberty 
for captives and release to those who are in prison. It's a future that experiences the Lord's favor. And, and, and there will be a day of vengeance of our God where evil will be cast down. Evil will be a thing of the past. God is going to take care of the evil and he's going to move his people towards that future. I love the ending. To comfort all who mourn. Those of us who have experienced one of the deepest realities of brokenness, if you've had a loved one pass away, a friend pass away, you, you know the way that just rips apart your life and the amount of pain and hurt there is in, involved in mourning. The ending that God is writing will be comfort and strength and new life where no more shall we mourn, but instead we shall find comfort in life. You see, over the last eight weeks, we've gotten to a place where we have studied stories that acknowledge brokenness, and we can see it in ourselves. That's why we relate so well to these stories. We see brokenness in our own stories. And, it, and when we take the time to look at the author, we see that he is loving and guiding all of our stories towards a happy ending where our relationships will be right, our God will be close, and our brokenness is a thing of the past. Let's summarize it this way. This was our premise from the very beginning. While it is often meaningful to connect with someone broken rather than someone better, there's power in connecting with someone who's broken. It is even more meaningful. It is most meaningful. It is most powerful. It is most impactful to connect with the author with God, a God of the broken, for the broken, who is working in our world and in our stories to bring us to a better end. The invitation to us is to foreshadow that ending to let our lives reflect where God is leading us. To, to, to show others where God desires our lives to go. The invitation to us is to embrace in our own stories the happy ending God is trying to bring about. As a way to respond to that, this morning you have a unique opportunity. Out in the atrium on the uh, west side, there's a big book there. It's a big book that is the big God story. It's the cosmological narrative that I invite you to go and add your name to that story, to that book. Add your name to that book. Write it in there, kids. Write it in there, adults. Put your name alongside all of the other names. Put your story alongside all the other stories. 
knowing that we travel together towards the ending God desires in our future. Let's conclude by praying together. Would you please pray with me? Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you would author and create us, that you would write our stories, that you would write the stories of those who have come before us, that you would be involved in our world and in our lives, and that you would not stay away from our brokenness and our dirtiness, but that you'd be willing to be so close and, and is so dedicated to us that you would, you, would, you would come and even die for us, that you would, you would, give, what, you would give up everything to move us towards the end that you desire, a better end where brokenness and pain and hurt is no more. We ask and pray that our lives might now reflect, that might uh, foreshadow the future that you have already written. We ask and pray that our lives as they continue to unfold, as we continue to explore what you have already written, may they honor you and glorify you. We pray and ask this, Jesus, as we pray together the way, Jesus, you taught us to pray.